Welcome to episode 9 of Hoco Cast, your local podcast sponsored by the Howard County Library System. We are Abby, Baz, and Ronan bringing you local Howard County happenings from Goodreads to storytelling needs. Voices, Brave Choices is a new initiative from the Howard County Library System that harnesses the power of storytelling and invites community members to share and reflect on their own personal experiences related to racism and discrimination by contributing these stories through the library's website. As the community collectively examines these stories and reflects on the impact they have on our lives, the library hopes to create ripples of understanding and positive action throughout Howard County. In this episode, we speak with library president and CEO about this new initiative and how the library is actively working for an educational pursuit of justice. Tonya Akins is president and CEO of Howard County Library System, a nationally recognized five-star library for delivering excellence in public education for all ages. Ms. Akins is keenly focused on building the collective leadership of the organization, its partners, the community, and customers served to provide equitable, high-quality educational opportunities for all. She has directed library services for more than 20 years and is passionate about the ability of libraries to transform lives and communities. All right, hello, Ms. Tonya Akins. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll jump into our first question. So, what are some things you'll be looking forward to in this initiative? Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I admire the work you all are doing. So thank you so much for, for your contributions. Um, I am very people-centered and a natural connector. Um, I believe in asset-based community development, collective impact, collective learning, all of which really amplify the assets uh, of community members. So I'm looking forward to connecting people and communities and organizations who likely would not connect otherwise and providing space for them to discover common ground uh, respect across differences, ways their lives and their work can be enhanced through deeper and more equitable relationships. Um, I'm excited to see what bubbles up organically uh, out of the connections and stories and conversations that are taking place. And the change, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the change, small and large, individual and in our institutions and systems uh, that comes about as a result of this initiative. Thank you so much. That was an awesome answer. Um, very insightful and it makes me excited for the initiative too. Um, moving on to the next question. Uh, Brave Voices harnesses the power of storytelling. Can you speak to the power stories have, specifically stories from within the community and why are they part of this program? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is the core, um, a key part of this initiative. Um, perceptions and narratives can be um, correct, they can be beautiful, they can be helpful, and they can also be incorrect um, and damaging uh, and cause harm. And importantly, there are too few opportunities for everyone uh, to tell their own story. You know, too often our stories and our histories are told for us by others. Um, this initiative really helps change that um, and shift uh, the power in who gets to tell their story and how stories are shaped and told. We're honoring um, the value of story. We, we're so honored to partner with uh, Equity Matters, uh, a team of equity practitioners, deeply educated and, and passionate uh, people. I call them superheroes, but they're just deeply passionate about what they do. And I, I'm energized every time I'm in their presence. Um, they're led by Michael Scott. And Michael shares often that, that stories are like stars. Um, and when you collect enough stars, you get constellations. When you collect enough stories, you get narratives. When you collect enough constellations, you get galaxies and eventually universes. And when you collect enough narratives, you get lifestyles and eventually cultures. And, and stories are, are definitely the cornerstones, right, um, for societal change. And so lives are shaped by stories, um, the histories, the narratives um, that are told. Um, and so in order to shift culture, uh, we have to shift the stories that are out there and, and the stories that are being told. Uh, so really putting that power back in the hands of community members to, 
to share their story as they see it. Um, and for more people to say, oh my goodness, this is happening. And it's not only happening to me, um, or it's, it's not only happening on this side of town, for instance, um, some of those types of things. So that's the power here. All right, thank you. That was a very beautiful and insightful answer. Um, how will the initiative work? How will you go from sharing stories to sharing those stories to the community? Yeah, so, so Brave Voices, Brave Choices is a multi-pronged initiative um, that is uh, designed to educate, um, enhance empathy and understanding and build better community. Um, so I'll walk you through um, kind of how this all comes together. Um, first, the initiative provides uh, free racial equity training uh, for community members and for library staff. Um, we're participating as well. Um, participants span the spectrum of those with de decades of practice leading racial equity education and processes and those for whom um, this is their first step um, in this educational journey um, and healing uh, in this space. And so the training provides a baseline uh, foundation for our collective learning as a, as a community. Um, second, um, along with our initiative partner, we've created this process and opportunity for the community members to share their stories, right, of their experiences with racism in Howard County. Um, we've collected over 400 stories already, um, stories of pain and hope, um, stories sharing the need for greater awareness and change. Um, and then third, um, the initiative uh, folds in sense-making. And this is a process um, by which people give meaning to their collective experiences. So you're reading the stories, you're, you're seeing what uh, trends, uh, so to speak, are bubbling up out of them, what actionable insights you can take away uh, uh, from them. Um, and, and those are led uh, sense-making sessions for participants in the training. Um, and so stories can be shared and read anytime online at bravevoiceshoco.org, or you can link to it directly from our website, hclibrary.org. Um, the site is refreshed with new stories every week. Um, I would invite your listeners um, to go also to the library's Facebook page where new stories are shared daily. Um, and then beyond the stories, um, we're also working with leaders um, people who submit their stories can designate who they think their story should be shared with, right? Whether it is county government or law enforcement or the school system or the association of realtors, um, things like that. Um, the tool um, allows us to track patterns in those stories um, so that we can see what issues um, need to be addressed and what type of action we can take to address them. Very cool. Thank you for explaining. Now, I think you've already touched on this quite a bit, but is there anything else still that you'd like to share on what you're hoping people will take away from hearing and sharing these stories? Yeah, thank you for that. You know, for leaders, um, the story provide, uh, the stories provide feedback um, from those they serve, right? Um, many whose voices um, they probably aren't hearing often or altogether unheard. Um, so people sharing stories um, have been so fully transparent. Um, so I think this is a key opportunity for leaders to view their work through an entirely different lens. Um, I hope they'll read the stories uh, along with their, their staff teams and use the information to engage uh, and reimagine uh, their work and their approach to the work um, based on what they discover uh, and learn in the stories. And for community members who really aim to share information so well and so broadly um, that the stories and the ideas of individuals um, are really stored in the collective memory of our community. Um, it's my hope that empathy and understanding are enhanced, um, that in individuals are, are not only moved by the stories, but they're transformed by them. Uh, we're already seeing some of that transformation begin in participants in this first uh, cohort, and it's such a beautiful thing to witness. Um, I hope that it prompts change in behaviors, uh, in policies, in practices, and really creates a more racially equitable and just community for everyone in Howard County. Um, and you know, one of the questions we're always asked is, well, what does that mean, right? What is the racial equity that, that you're striving for? 
um, then it's really all people having unfettered access to the resources, um, education, employment, housing, you name it, right, health, um, that they need to thrive, but not only to thrive, but to belong, right? You can't have racial equity without that belonging part, right, where nobody is othered, right? The absence of othering is so key to racial equity. Um, they're just is not racial equity without it. So, so it's not just about systems, it's, it's about people and their beliefs and their behaviors. Um, and that's really what, what we're striving for here. Again, that was a wonderful answer. It really shows how much dedication you have for our community. And I'm just really thankful that you're putting so much work for us. Um, why do you think it's important for the library to be leading this initiative? And who else in the community is the library working with? to create positive action on racial issues and discrimination. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so the library's mission is, is high quality public education for all. Um, we provide a myriad of in innovative educational opportunities for people of all ages and achieving racial equity certainly begins with education, right? Um, so through this initiative, we, we honor the educational value of personal stories and pair the stories with instruction on the history of race and racism in America. Um, the library is among our community's most trusted institutions. Um, we are always so honored uh, and delighted to serve uh, this community every single day. Uh, we're engaged with community members across the county and have a history of bringing people together um, to discuss sensitive topics through initiatives like uh, the Longest Table and the Human Library uh, and the Undesign the Red Line exhibit. Um, the library partners broadly across the community um, and collaborates with other organizations um, all the time. Um, and so that's also a way you know, that we're able to amplify um, this work. Um, we are very excited and grateful to um, 20 leaders, 20 community leaders, a diverse group of, of folks that comprise our, our recently formed a Racial Equity Alliance uh, that, that partners with us in our public facing equity work. And each of these leaders is also doing just phenomenal work um, in, in this space in their own organizations or in their personal lives. Um, so I'd say many, 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 and when you go to, I, I, I hesitate to name them because I'll leave somebody out and they're just all so phenomenal. But if you go to um, Brave Voices HOCO um, or hclibrary.org um, and click on Brave Alliance, um, you'll be able to see that list um, of, of community leaders um, who um, give of their time to, to really help um, advance racial equity in Howard County. All right, great, thank you. And so our final question we have here is just what is next for the library? You know, do you have additional plans for the library to contribute to this meaningful change in our community? And if so, what are they? Thank you so much. Well, there's some things I can't tell you yet, but I'll tell you what I can tell you there because there are always so many incredible things um, taking shape at the library. Um, uh, it's, it's the best place uh, to work. Uh, it's not Disneyland, it's the library. Um, we will offer um, several ways for the community to engage in Brave Voices, Brave Choices over the summer. And we'll offer opportunities for folks to join the second cohort um, in the fall. So watch for that. Um, participants uh, in that cohort um, receive the free racial equity training and a series of guided sense-making sessions that are just phenomenal. I mean, it's really, really phenomenal. Um, and we're, we're so um, grateful to be able to, to offer this for the community. Um, our new On the Road to Kindergarten mobile unit hits the road this summer. And I wanna put that in there because this is also um, an equity initiative. Um, we're excited to bring uh, classes and learning materials to children five and under and their caregivers um, through this new initiative. Um, reducing barriers to access and them getting to branches uh, and things like that. So, so we'll be out and around the community um, in our new unit and excited about that. And, and because we know that there are always more things than we have time to, to share with people and we can always, no matter how deeply somebody is engaged with the library, tell them something they didn't know that the library was doing. Um, we're working on, um, a, a showcase of sorts um, that will allow people to really see the full spectrum um, of HCLS offerings um, and plug in 
um, in a variety of places they probably had no idea existed, um, which, is, which is so incredible. So please, please stay tuned. Um, watch our website, hclibrary.org for additional information on all of these initiatives and programs and definitely um, connect with us on social media. Of course. Yeah. Well, that all sounds fantastic. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this interview with us. It's been great. Um, but yeah, just thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you all. Enjoy your summer. There are tons of books out there, but few have been recreated into a movie or a TV show. Let's share our favorite stories that have amazing adaptations, or not. All right, guys. So books versus movies. I think this can be a polarizing subject for some people. Mm. I'm very interested to hear what you guys' thoughts are on it. Yeah, yeah I mean, there, there have been plenty of uh, book to movie slash TV show adaptations that are really good, but movies versus tv shows as a whole different than books to movie adaptations right right yeah yeah we can definitely get into both uh <laughs> um so i think first i would be interested to hear about uh your thoughts on adaptations or like what are some good ones what are examples of bad ones and like what's important it to making a good adaptation well, uh, I know my personal favorite adaptation, which is uh, funny enough, also my book review, which you'll hear later in the episode. Um, the my, my favorite book to TV show adaptation, I don't really have a book to movie favorite adaptation, mm -hmm. but the, my favorite book to TV show adaptation is uh, Good Omens. Yeah. Yes. Um, the Neil Gaiman book to TV show. What What's so well done about it is that they they took a lot of liberties in it um like there's at, at some point in one of the episodes it's the first 15 minutes of one of the episodes they added a bunch of stuff that wasn't in the book which was a huge liberty on their part because that could have gone horribly wrong and everyone could have hated it and then stopped watching the tv show but instead they did it they did it in a really well done it it fit the storyline of the book so well that there was no backlash because it was just it was just so well done and a major thing about these book to movie slash tv show adaptations is that it depends on who writes it um all the best ones are written by the authors like i think a lot of us can uh listening it can agree that the percy jackson movies are absolutely <laughs> awful because rick riordan did not write the screenplay it was written by some other person so the thing is, is like when the the author of the book writes the screenplay, it's done right. I think yeah. we can agree with that. And that's why Good Omens was so special is because Good Omens was written by Neil Gaming and Terry Pratchett. And since Terry Pratchett died, he wasn't there to write the screenplay. But Neil Gaiman did it so well that he managed to keep the the the, the format that they both did it in, which was, uh, mm -hmm. was just amazing. Yeah, and I think also, um, Good Omens, this is just going to be me being like, Good Omens is so great, you guys should read it. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, 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 both. Um, but uh, I think one of the reasons that works really well is, you know, people will say with like, I don't know, like the Harry Potter movies, like, oh, well, would you really watch if somebody did like a six hour version of book one and then six hour version of book two? And people are like, yes, of course. Um, at this point, maybe not because, uh, you know, but like originally I remember that was a big thing was that was like the big adaptation um was people talking about the differences in the Harry Potter movies meanwhile then I feel like with tv shows people don't like it because then it takes too many liberties you know it goes completely mm. you know if you have like a three season thing for one book like how did like then you got to fill up that time you got to create new storylines yeah I get, I get where that's coming from yeah but then like good omens it's a TV show, but it's, you know, it's about six or seven hours. So I feel like it hits that sweet spot of being able to cover everything in the book and take a few liberties without, you know, going too far off the storyline, but without having to cut a bunch of things down, like if it was a two hour movie. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very well done. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I'm glad you guys aren't spoiling it because I was planning on watching it soon. So. Do it. Do it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then yes, this is, this is a spoiler-free zone. Do not worry. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, are there any adaptations that, like you know, we mentioned Percy Jackson, um, which I feel like is sad because I think it had some great moments of cinematography and like some great directing decisions mm-hmm. it was just it, they did take <laughs> a lot of liberties so <laughs> the, the thing with the Percy Jackson movies they made two of them and the first one was suspicious it wasn't <laughs> awful but it wasn't like like blockbuster so like it it wasn't the best then the second movie comes out and it's like this half the book is in this movie and then the rest is just not in the book and it's not like it, it's just they, they cut a whole portion of the book out which was not the right thing to do what i like that they're doing is um disney plus and required and are working together right now to make a tv right. show yeah which is going to be able to fit everything in the book in the movie which applause to disney plus <laughs> um yeah yeah definitely i think yeah, it's hard, especially when it feels like the writers, you know, like you said, you like it's really great when the writers of the original work can work really closely with the producers of the new show slash movie. Um, I think it is just very hard when it is a different writer, not necessarily to write something similar, but like to always get the essence of the story, you know, to get what it's really about and why, like, why did people flock to it so much in the first place, you know? Um, Cause like, there's a reason it's popular, but then just trying to reproduce it always isn't going to get the same results. Um, here's a, this is a pivot. I just, I'm interested in thoughts about, um, you know, I think one of the things that is most widely adapted are Shakespeare plays into movies, whether it's like, a direct adaptation like the mm-hmm. 1970s Romeo and Juliet or like you know the midsummer with Stanley Tucci and all this or if it like goes a bit more out there whether it's like because it's a modern adaptation like the Baz Luhrmann um Romeo and Juliet or if it's like you know what what is it like 10 things I hate about you or they're like yeah this is this is basically or she's the man this is basically a Shakespeare play that they just you know changed it about and you know just like do you have any thoughts on that um and like yeah just interested to hear I don't know um for me I guess Shakespeare is kind of a interesting topic when it does come to adaptations because I mean at this point it's I guess it's just been so long since the source material actually came out Mm -hmm. that like when people adapt that story it's kind of I feel like for me, I expect it to be taken with liberty because it just kind of shows how modern thinking can change a story or like how people can view that story. So, I mean, my favorite example of like a Shakespeare adaptation is Lion King. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that itself, you can tell it's kind of, where are the humans? They're just all lions. Why is this a Shakespeare adaptation? So Shakespeare would have wanted a <laughs> <laughs> version of this play. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, for one, am not a very big Shakespeare person, so I cannot answer that question with an educated opinion. No <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like you said, you know, it's yeah, at this point, you kind of expect liberties to be taken. So I feel like it's almost a separate question about talking about whether or not um, in adapting th- uh, books to different formats, like h- how much do you have to stay true to the original storyline versus, you know, do you just have to get the essence of it? But it's like Shakespeare's been around so long, <laughs> so many adaptations, like it's a completely different I feel like when you're talking about anything that has been so widely adapted, like you said, it's almost expected. But then with like, um, you know, books where there's only like one or maybe two adaptations, it's like, but but, but I want everything to be the same, <laughs> exactly how I pictured it, you know? Yeah. 
That is that is how it usually goes. <laughs> I think my favorite adaptation is um. Oh my gosh, I blanked on the title for a second. Um, Prince of Egypt. Um, you know, I mean, it's like it's. I feel like people don't see it as an adaptation because I mean it's just that good of a movie, and yeah, they they stay respectful to the source material. But at the same time, I love the fact that they just they took the time to be respectful to everyone involved and they made the story their own and even more humanized than the story in the Bible. So I guess what I'm saying is for me, when I look for an adaptation, it's of course, I would love it if they stay loyal to what I read, but I was I would also like it to see what the people can put in by themselves. I mean, since after all, it is an adaptation. So. Right. Yeah, I think it's all about finding that that nice balance where you don't, you still want to be respectful. You still want to be like, yes, this is the story, but it is, you know, it's interesting. Like, do you want an exact copy or, you know, is there a way? Because it's a different format. So like, what can the, what can, you know, showing it on screen do that you couldn't originally do with it being a book, you know, how do you, how can you change that? But then also what are the limitations, like understanding, you know, can your character now have this really long internal monologue if it's on a TV show? Like maybe, maybe not, you know, and just figuring that out. Like it's not going to be exactly the same, but I think, yeah, that's where a lot of like the new creativity should be allowed to come in. Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to the whole thing with like um, book to movie adaptations, but where the author doesn't, uh, is not alive anymore. Mm. Aladdin is from A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. And mm. like the, you, the whole thing is you do expect liberty to be taken because the original author hasn't existed for quite a while. <laughs> So, like, the the whole thing is that the original story is very, like, serious, but of course it's a Disney movie, so they're gonna make it a musical. They're gonna, like, put in jokes here and there. The, really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think that is just the thing where also then changing... Um, you know, depending on whose point of view is telling the story, like, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier, is it the author? Is it a different person trying to just like make some money or are they really trying to capture the essence of it? Like, you know, and like Abby was talking about with like how modern adaptations, you know, you expect there to be a more modern lens. I think definitely, yeah, in changing sort of not like the themes of Aladdin, but changing it from being this super serious um, story to going to something more lighthearted, you know, adding in like comedians and things like that, I think is so interesting to just, yeah, see how a little change of the lens can completely not change the storyline, but change how people view it. Because yeah, I don't think watching the Disney movie, you would get that sort of sense uh, as you would the original story. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, before moving on, uh, there's there's a definite um, book-to-movie adaptation we have to discuss. Um, might be one of the greatest of them all, and that's The Hunger Games. Mm. Um, <laughs> the Hunger Games movies were absolutely fantastic. Um, they, they got more interesting throughout. Like, the, the fact that they, they split the third movie into two parts... I, I thought that was a great idea just because they wanted to incorporate all the things from the third movie into, or the third book into the third movie, which I think was a great idea. But of course, not all like movie companies can afford to do that. Mm -hmm. But yes, the, the Hunger Games book to movies um, are very, very good. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's always good when, um, you know, I'd read the books and then like, it'd been a while since I'd read them when I finally got to see all the movies, but it was still like, it felt very, I, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like it was like recalling the memory of the book. It didn't feel so far from it like some adaptations do. Um, 
every adaptation is going to have its differences and things. And also, I think, you know, one of the big things is like physical descriptions, you know, how is that taken on with like characters, whether it's like the costume design, you know, how do they want to present different things? Because um, I feel like like things like Hunger Games, like showing the people from the Capitol and like really letting yeah. costume designers like just like put their image out there of what they believe those different like you know high class fancy costumes were I think that that was really well done meanwhile uh they seemed a bit more restrained with like uh like Katniss's design but you know that made not only sense then but like things like what are the limitations that you're willing to go to with your actors with things like you know they did the same thing with the Holes movie you know you don't see the uh blank on the main character's name but you don't see him lose a bunch of weight like he did in the book because that wouldn't be healthy for the actors and you know maybe sometimes that's a bit more important than uh what we're going you know and I think than what you're willing to put people through and I think you know with there's a lot um more that can be done now in that sense with CGI and costuming and like yeah definitely and yeah what we have with uh prosthetics now but um yeah, I think that definitely is, once again, like sort of a limitation from, can be a limitation or can be very liberating doing a movie adaptation. Uh, is that, you know, how does that vision get conveyed? Is it always the best choice to do? Is it healthy? How much money does it take, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, um, there's uh, one more thing I'd like to talk about while we're here. And that is, do you people prefer movies or TV shows? Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> so in, in my personal opinion, I can take a lot of example. Um, a lot of my answer for this is influenced by the Marvel movies. Hmm. Um, very recently, they started experimenting with TV shows with WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, which currently is fantastic. And... Um, one of the things is the movies were great but as they said in their behind the scenes documentary is that they can go in depth in the characters a lot more in a tv show because they have six hours to work with rather than just two to two and a half yeah definitely i think you know i think there's going to be good and bad examples <laughs> with everything but like yeah definitely with tv shows you have more time to get more into the characters you know to show you know you don't have to worry about wrapping it up real quick um you know especially if it's you know and the same thing with like a play is it a one act or a two act you know how many storylines can you have running at once what can you do with the time that you're allowed at the same time with tv shows if they do get super popular and they run all right I feel like I'm backtracking a little bit but like what I mean is like like a show like Avatar The Last Airbender or you know yeah shows like that where it's like they clearly had a three season storyline they stuck to it and then they finished it there and then went into other modes of storytelling like comic books and things but they were like this is what the tv show is going to be and it was good and they were able to go really in depth, you know, and talk about things like imperialism and, you know, abuse and like struggles like that um, in this format without feeling like they were rehashing the same storylines because with other shows that, oh, it gets super popular and then they just keep renewing a season and keep renewing the season. And that's like, yeah. oh God, how do we up the stakes? Uh, you know, and then they just keep returning to it. So I feel like up to a point that is really good. <laughs> And then when you go up beyond that, then it's like, oh no. Yeah, I, I do like these the the shows that have the limits. When yeah. when the the streaming service or um, network company says you can only have this many hours and this many seasons and no more, then that really forces them to put everything they need into one like basket. Yeah. Uh, but if the basket overflows, then the show is not good anymore, and it's just raking in money at this point. Right. Yeah. It's the main actor's retirement fund, which, you know, can be good for them. But... It's good for maybe 10, 20 people. Right. But what about all the, the viewers? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, I think it also depends on like what genre you're into. You know, if you're into a very specific thing, you know, whether that that might lend itself more or less to it. You know, I feel like if you're really into like, like sitcom style things versus like more, I don't know, just like, like serious works or like going all the way with like rom-coms, like I don't feel like those are ones that where you can necessarily stretch it out a super long time. Meanwhile, a yeah. format, like a sitcom or like, you know, a mystery series. Yeah, like si- sitcoms are meant to be, they're, they're made to be long. Right. Yeah, they're they're made to be long because there's no plot point. There's no big like story arc they're doing. They're just there to do comedy. And that's the whole point of the show. Right. It's more about just what if we put these characters, like get people into the characters and then just put them in different situations to see how they would interact with it. Yeah. Yeah. Creating like this bigger story arc which once again allows for them to make a lot of the episodes because, you know, once you sort of get a formula going for it and you're like, yeah, people like this, you can just keep going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That That's very accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with what all of you guys are saying. I guess for me, um, when we're talking about movies and TV shows, it's hard for me to like compare them unless they're about the same source material. Mm. Like, I mean, if we're talking about Last Airbender again, and we compare it to the movie, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's 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 a that's a that's a debate. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like one side would get very, very demolished. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it depends, like what Baz said, it depends on how much time the creators are given and what they know about the project that they're doing, that it depends on the quality of how it's going to come out. Um, For me too, I feel like they go hand in hand together. And I guess one example of that and my weeb side is coming out now, but if we're talking about anime, I guess, TV shows and movies are kind of like, I don't know, it's hard to explain, because there are some sources that like have the anime, but then to make money, the people make movies to go along with it. Yeah. So I guess from that point, it kind of looks like you need both of them to make a whole story sound really good. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that that does. Um, I'm trying to think of another example of that. Um, oh, this one. Okay, so I can find a good example of this and a bad example of this. Um, the first good example is is going to be kind of funny. I think it was in 2018 or 2019 they released the Captain Underpants movie, which was I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was very great. Um, <laughs> Then they released a TV show to go along with it, which was like a Netflix original. And they've done this with a lot of movies, like universal movies. Like they have a Boss Baby TV show. They have a Cloudy with a Chance to Meatballs TV show. They have TV shows for all these things that all failed miserably. Yeah. And, but some, but for some reason, the, the Captain Underpants TV show isn't like awful. It is really, really good. <laughs> for some odd reason, like whenever they have a new season, our entire family will sit down <laughs> and watch it and we will all laugh because they've done such a good job of it. it it's a very interesting thing but of course like they have these other tv shows like the boss baby tv show the cloudy with the chances to me about the home tv show all these other tv shows that just didn't like yeah. surpass the line yeah i, I for one. Oh, yeah go ahead no you could totally go <laughs> I don't know. I was I was just completely surprised that they had a move a TV show for Boss Baby. Yeah, I mean, was, I guess just making money. <laughs> it, it was so it wasn't even animated. It, it wasn't like computer animated. It was um, 
it was computer animated, but you know, the, like the movie has that three D look to it. Yeah. It was it was like a two D TV show, like kind of how you see those um, the second golden age of Disney movies. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. those, it was that style of animation, which confuses me, but they did it. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I guess um, the whole thing between them is just money and so I guess you could say maybe a tv show gets really popular and so they try to make a movie to make money out of that more but that can turn out horrible because it's about the money instead and the same thing goes vice versa so even if we are trying to debate this I think the kind of ground level is just saying we they're kind of really awesome in their own feats but they can turn out bad if they're just for capitalism reasons. yeah 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 which one had the original like heart put behind it mm-hmm. um i think you can really tell between you know whether it is yeah a book that was then turned into a movie or a movie that was then turned into a tv show all of this yeah and that and that brings us back to the whole thing of like if the author writes the screenplay the mo- the movie or tv show is better the author is not going to do it for money the author's already made tons of money off the book <laughs> they're doing it because they want to give the they want to give their audience a good form of entertainment and that's mm. that's why they do it so i guess that does highly influence the the whole money thing yeah definitely it's been great talking to you It's been great talking to you, too. Yeah. Summer reading begins on June 1st and runs through August. Track your reading, play fun, educational mini-games, and find missions full of activities. Discover library e-resources along the way. Earn 10 points to receive a free book. Earn points by either logging your books online or in a paper reading log, then visit any HCLS branch between August 2nd and August 31st to pick up your book. Limit one book per reader while supplies last. Visit the library's website to participate. Books to movies to TV shows, there are many masterpieces out there, whether they be on page or on the screen. Here's some great story suggestions from the Hoko cast team. If you're anything like me, it's a bit disconcerting to finish reading an incredible book and to start excitedly watching its film adaptation, only to realize that it isn't a faithful nor good adaptation. You know, like when in the book, the heroes are 12-year-old kids with actual character depth, new and understandably terrified of a mythological world, and when in the movies, the same characters are aged up to fit Hollywood standards, with stale character writing. I'm looking at you, Percy Jackson. If this is the case, I sincerely recommend Yona of the Dawn, a story well presented in both its television series and its original manga. Yona of the Dawn, otherwise known as Akatsuki no Yona, is a manga written and illustrated by Mizuho Kusanagi with an anime adaptation created by the animation studio Piero, animators of beloved shows like Naruto and Tokyo Ghoul. Since I'm going to gush about the manga anyway, I'll take the time now to talk about the anime. To be upfront, the anime is incredible. Though it's not masterpiece praiseworthy, the animators do what they're supposed to do. They faithfully adapt the story, and they do so in a respectful and enthusiastic manner. Tension-filled moments in the manga are enthralling in the anime, with the dramatic soundtrack and the detailed expressions the animators carefully put on the characters. Hilarious dialogue and the manga are wonderful to see in the anime as well, with talented voice actors bringing new life to the roles and well-timed animation used efficiently to make the scenes all the more interesting. The only complaint I have is that there isn't enough. There's only been one season of the anime, and since then over 150 manga chapters have been updated. With these chapters, the manga has been developing and reaching levels of shoujo manga that I've barely seen before. And with that, let's move on to the manga. For a simple summary, Yona of the Dawn is an Eastern historical fiction story following a young princess named Yona, who after her father's assassination and her and her bodyguards' banishment from her palace, 
sets herself on a journey through the Koka Kingdom searching for four mythological dragons destined to help her on her task of triumphantly returning to rule her kingdom. Personally, the main feature of the story that I love is the character development, especially for Yona. Starting out as a spoiled and stereotypical princess, Yona is a protagonist I was hesitant to root for. With everything that happens though, she becomes an independent woman, one who strives to become stronger and wiser to protect those close to her and to revitalize the kingdom. Another feature I adored was the romance between Yona and her bodyguard, Huck. The romantic tension between these two is simply adorable, and the way that the two communicate with each other is refreshing in every aspect. I know I went on and on about this, and I'd love to go on even more, but to wrap up, I can honestly say that Yona of the Dawn is probably one of the best romance adventure stories I've ever watched and read. Please check out Yona of the Dawn. I have many favorite movies and TV shows, but few are adaptations of books. My all-time favorite book-to-movie adaptation is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Both the book and TV show are absolute masterpieces, but they are slightly different. The original book is amazing. Within the first chapter of the book, you can easily decipher the personalities of each character. This is taken to the next level in the TV show. The acting is so fantastic, you just know who these people are based on their first few lines. The book tells the story of an angel and a demon who team up to prevent the end of the world. Now, that's taking the entire story and putting it into the utmost simplest definition. Some say the show and book both have a much deeper meaning than what is on the outside, but I won't say any more. They're both fantastic works of art, and I hope you're intrigued to check them out. In the first couple episodes of HokoCast, I've actually discussed a couple books with great adaptations, like The Woman in Black and Good Omens. Both are different in terms of genre, length, subject matter, etc., but they both work really well in terms of being tailored to their original book. Another book with a nice movie adaptation that is tailored to the specific book and how it was created in another completely different way from The Woman in Black and Good Omens is Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh. Train Spotting follows a group known as the Skag Boys, as well as other characters that regularly interact with their group. Though the main character is Mark Renton, and a majority of the stories from the book are told from his perspective, the novel is structured as a series of short chapters within seven sections, allowing for many different characters to take the reins for a bit to gain multiple insights into the culture surrounding the Skag Boys. Now maybe you recognize the term Skag, but if not, I'll clue you in. Skag is slang for heroin, and thus you can probably gather that drug abuse and other mature topics are present throughout train spotting. Some topics, such as mentions of sexual assault and the deaths of characters of a variety of ages, may be triggering to read depending on the person, so this is a word of caution if you do choose to read Trainspotting. Despite its dark moments, though, I still do recommend Trainspotting. Welsh gives a distinct voice to each character and showcases many of them in great depth within 300 pages. At times, the reading can take a bit more time, I will let you know, since the book is Scottish and because the chapters aren't exactly labeled with which character is narrating at the start. This is when those distinct character voices come in handy, while you're waiting for someone to say their name. I will say that in a way, the delayed understanding does kind of force you to relax and just roll with whatever's being described in the book, adding to the hazy atmosphere. And while some formatting decisions may make the book more confusing on one hand, Welsh does a fantastic job of using unconventional spacing and sizing of words at key points in train spotting to add to the chaos already stirring within a scene. Even through the gritty bits, I couldn't stop reading, and so I would recommend giving a shot at the novel train spotting. But then there's the movie. Would I recommend its adaptation as well? Well, remember what I said at the beginning of this review. The movie adaptation of Train Spotting is tailored specifically to how the book was formatted, and I think is so successful as an adaptation partially due to the groundwork laid by the book, where the storytelling isn't always a dramatic linear arc, but is more about getting to understand the culture of the Skag Boys. That allows for the movie to leave certain subplots out or create new ones, and as long as the characterizations are correct and the basic plot is the same, the adaptation doesn't feel far removed from the original work. 
and this does include leaving out many of the instances that I found could be triggering to read. Don't get me wrong, there is still a point or two that can be hard to watch, but if you want something a bit less intense, I would go for the movie adaptation of Trainspotting. The directing of the movie is also superb. It brings the descriptions of the book to life while also adding extra psychedelic touches where it sees fit. The movie also bridges nicely between the book and the limitations of the new movie format. For instance, the plot has to be more linear, so the movie adds in scenes that are montages of separate interactions cut together to give it that less linear feel. Or, rather than being able to develop all of these separate character voices, the movie took the one that they could really develop, Mark's, and gave it all they could, giving him lots of internal dialogue and a few killer monologues. Trust me, I plan on learning the words to both the opening and closing Choose Life monologues. Both the book and the movie adaptation of Trainspotting clearly looked at what they could accomplish within their chosen medium and tossed all they could into it, creating two works that can be enjoyed separately, but I would also recommend taking them in together. And on a slightly separate note, hi, it's Baz, one of the now graduated seniors of the HokoCast podcast. I would just like to say that it's been an absolute blast getting to work on this podcast over the past year and a half. I know that when we began it, we weren't sure where it was going to go or what challenges would be in store, but we ended up with a podcast that I am so proud to have been a part of. I can't wait to see what episodes are in store for HokoCast next, but for now, I'd like to say on behalf of all our seniors, thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening to HokoCast. We hope you can take time to share your personal stories with the Brave Voices, Brave Choices initiative so we can begin to create ripples of understanding and positive action throughout Howard County. And whether you prefer the book to the movie or vice versa, there's never a shortage of good stories out there. So spend your summer exploring all the versions of stories and authoring your own stories.